Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa sallam Muhammad. We were on number 92. Qala al-musannifu rahimahullahu ta'ala wa nafanallahu wa yahu bi'ulumihi fi darin. Ameen. The author says the following. Man abaduhu li shay'in yarjuhu minhu aw li yadfa'a bita'atihi wurudan uqubati anhu فَمَا قَامَ بِحَقِّ أَوْ صَافِهِ سُبْحَانَ So he says, whoever worships him, God, for something they hope from him, or obeys him to keep chastisement from coming to themselves, has not given his attributes their due. Has not given their attributes, his attributes, their due. So this is a theme that has come up before. And um, it relates to this concept, as um, some of you probably recall, this idea of the uh, various levels at which a person can worship God or by which a person can worship God. And uh, one of those being to worship God because of be fearing for some punishment from Him. And another one would be to worship God out of desire for some sort of reward from Him. And the other would be worshipping God because He is God and because of who He is. Subhanahu wa ta'ala, glorified and exalted is He. And so basically what He's saying here is the one who chooses or the one who engages in their worship with God out of as, as one of the first two, then they didn't give Him His due right. They didn't, they didn't worship Him in the way that He deserved to be worshipped. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um... But, you know, it's not that that is necessarily wrong, right? Like one can worship God out of fear. One can worship God out of hope for some sort of reward. And one can worship God because he's God. All of those are actually valid. And for, the, for, for most people, probably there will be different places in our lives where each of those, uh, one of those might be more appropriate than the other. Or one of those might fit better than the other one. Um, and sometimes it might be that like maybe someone has generally a leaning towards worshipping God out of love for Him. But at the same time, they might have times when really the only thing that's going to motivate them is fear. Or the only thing that's going to motivate them is, is, is the desire for the reward. And so all of those are possibilities. You know, that's, uh, they're acceptable. And those various possibilities are mentioned in the teachings of the Sharia, right? And so maybe that's, um, since we've had a long break, I don't know if there's anyone new that's tuning in today, but maybe this is a good time to remind ourselves that what uh, Ibn Atta'ala is giving us is not the path of salvation. So what he's giving us in these aphorisms is not like the basic minimum that's required in order to be a Muslim who um, is accepted by God and like enters into paradise. That's not what this what these wisdoms are about. What these wisdoms are about are developing a deeper and more profound relationship with God um that is that is true sincerity and that is true worship and true servitude and true submission 
So he's not mentioning these three by way to say that only the last one is acceptable. He's just saying that the person who did those other things, they didn't really give um, the attributes of God their due. They didn't really understand him fully. Um, and, and so, you know, but that's okay. So this is uh, uh, what's being talked about here. There's a statement that's mentioned in the commentary. Um, by Abu Hazm al-Madini radiallahu ta'ala an he was from the people of Medina um, he was of Salama ibn Dinar he was from the Tabi'een and from like the great ones of the Tabi'een from the followers the generation following the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam and um, he said I am shy to worship my Lord out of fear of his punishment because if I was to do so then I would be like um, I would be like the um, disobedient slave or the, the disobedient slave or the disobedient servant who only does their job out of fear of the punishment of their master he said I'm afraid to be from the I, you know I feel shy to be from that category and I also feel shy to worship my Lord out of desire for the reward. And because if I did, then I would be like the um, like the laborer uh, who's not really doing their job properly. They only they and they only work when they have a reward, right? Like they're they're. Um, They're hired out to do a particular job, and only when they have the, they only do exactly what they were hired to do. They're not going to do anything more. And he's like, and I and I fear to, I, I feel shy to engage with God in that way too. Um, but rather, walakin Rather, I worship him out of my love for him. Subhanahu wa taala. One of the reasons why I think this this quote is important is because sometimes what you'll find in certain um, kind of like discourses around Islamic spirituality is sometimes you'll find people say things like oh these are just concepts that people made up later on they weren't they're not concepts that were there in the salaf right they're not this so they'll say like this whole idea of worshiping God because you fear him versus because you want reward versus because that's what he deserves subhanahu wa ta'ala they'll say this is like a later development you know, over time, the Muslims, they started to nitpick too much and they started to come up with these things and they started to make things more complicated than they needed to be. And like, yeah, why do you need to talk like that? The Quran has this and the Quran has that and like, halas, end of the conversation. And, but rather what we have here is a statement from one of the most prominent of the Tabi'een. So this is a very, this is the Salaf. So when people say, um, you know um, uh, that they say, they say that this 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 is the salaf, right? Like the salaf is the companions and the tabi'in and the generation after the tabi'in. So this is the salaf, and he's saying that these are, this is how I feel about my worship of God. That I feel shy to do it this way, and I feel shy to do it that way. But rather, I worship Him out of love for Him, Subhanahu wa Taala. 
So this is 92. 93, he says, this is very beautiful because when he gives to you he shows you his kindness and when he denies you he is showing you his irresistible power I would say he is showing you his irresistible power so in both he is disclosing himself to you and drawing nigh with his loving kindness unto you so what this is um, getting at is that when he gives you, you're seeing one side of who he is. Subhanahu wa ta'ala, glorified and exalted is he. You're seeing his kindness. You're seeing his goodness. You're seeing sifat jamalihi. You're seeing the attributes of his beauty. And when he prevents from you, or he denies you, then he is showing you his power. Right Now he's showing you his sifat, uh, sifat and jalal. He's showing you his sifat, he's showing you his attributes of majesty. And in both those situations, in both of those situations, he's muta'arrif. He's muta'arrif ilayk. He's muta'arrif ilayk. So here they, they translate that as, so in both he is disclosing himself unto you. That's not a bad translation. One of the things he says in the commentary here is Muta'arraf ilayk a muridun minka an ta'rifahu bi awsafihi al-jamaliyati wal-jalaliyati. So he says that he's um, he's wanting from you to know him by his attributes of beauty and by his attributes of majesty. When it says mutarifun ilayk, disclosing himself to you, disclosing himself to you means Allah in his in this interacting with you in these ways, giving you sometimes, denying you sometimes, then he is showing more about his attributes to the servant. And in a sense, that's like he's disclosing himself to the servant, subhanAllah. And and muqbilun bi wujudi lutfihi alayk. And he's drawing nigh with his loving kindness unto you coming close so so this is how then the person who is trying to be in a state of submission and in a state of um, getting to know God this is how then they look at those various situations and there's going to be uh, more said about that in the hikam that are coming in the wisdoms that are coming but they look at the difficulty as one expression uh, of Allah's attributes in creation and they look at the blessing as another expression of Allah's attributes in creation but both of them in the end are Allah uh, are, are the are, are the athar um, uh, both of them are the Signs of God's attributes in creation, both of them, whichever one you're looking at it. Because again, you know, you have this qabd, this bust, this constriction and expansion, which are again, you know, the attributes of God 
are attributes of beauty and they're attributes of majesty and they'll have different consequences right so he says in the commentary he says فَمَنْ كَانَ عَارِفًا بِرَبِّهِ لَمْ يُفَرِّقْ بَيْنَ الْمَنْعِ وَالْعَطَاءِ لِأَنَّ كُلًّا مِنْهُمَا لَهُ تَرِيقٌ تُوصِلُهُ إِلَى مَعْرِفَةِ مَوْلَاهِ وَهَذَا مِنْ جُمْلَةِ فَتْحِ بَابِ الْفَهْمِ فِي الْمَنْعِ كَمَا مَرْ فَفْهَمْ He says in the commentary, he says, So the one who knows their Lord, they don't distinguish between his giving and his deprivation, or his giving and his denying. They don't, just way that way. They, it's not, it's irrelevant to them. If, if he gives or if he denies, they don't make a distinguishment between them. Because both of them, both of them actually have a, um, a path that leads from them to God. Whichever, whichever route the person is on, both of them are routes that lead to God. And whichever situation the person is, all of those situations lead back to God. So if it's a situation of being denied something, you're being denied something. If it's a situation of being given something, it's a situation of being given something. Either way, both of those are taking me to God. It's like one of the... Um, um, one, of the, one of the teachers, they asked him a question about basically, you know, like... I forget what it was something like he wasn't able to travel and they asked him like you know don't you just wish you could go here or something like that and he was like no I'm not really like that <laughs> you know he's like Where, wherever I am that's where I'm happy to be if I'm here then I enjoy here where I am with everything about it and if I go somewhere else I enjoy that place with everything there is about it and wherever it is that I am that's where I am I don't have I'm not always wishing to be somewhere else. I was like, well, inshallah one day, maybe we can get to that point. But each of those, the person who knows their Lord, each of e whatever situation they're in, they all have ways going back to God. And this is an example of, he says, and this is an example of the door of understanding being opened to the person in a time of deprivation or in a time of denial. So, and, and that was what was discussed in the previous wisdoms. And then he says, fefhem. So he says, so understand. He says, this is an example of the door of, um, uh, of understanding being opened in a time of uh, not receiving. Uh, and I think it was back here. It's number 84. Number 84, he said, مَتَى فَتَحَ لَكَ بَابِ الْفَهْمِ فِي الْمَنْعِ عَادَ الْمَنْعُ عَيْنَ الْعَطَاءِ he said, when the door of uh, understanding is opened for you in a time of deprivation, then that deprivation becomes giving itself. That becomes an act of receiving itself. Because now you, you actually deepened your understanding of God. And that's, that's the greatest gift, is to, understand, is to go deeper in that understanding. Uh, so he says, Fafham. So be be a person who understands. Number ninety four. Deprivation hurts you only because of your incomprehension of God in it. So why why does it bother you when you don't get what you were hoping for, or is it only because you didn't understand what God is doing in that moment? 
Right. You didn't. We, and, and subhanAllah, one of the interesting things whenever you're talking to people about this kind of stuff is like when one looks back on their life and reflects, oftentimes we can find situations and places where like, hmm, that, that thing didn't go the way that we expected or wanted it to go. And it ended up being really good that it didn't go the way that we wanted it to go. And usually like as a person gets older, they start to build more experiences in their life where they begin to understand that. And the challenge is that you might be telling that to someone who's like 16, 17, 18 years old and they just can't get it, right? They're frustrated and they're upset about it and everything else. But in the end, what is it? It's just an issue of we don't have that understanding yet. And we're, we're not opening our eyes to the possibility of what is God doing right now. I had this particular plan, but what is God planning? يَمْكُرُونَ وَيَمْكُرُ Allah, You know, that they, they have their plans and they have their schemes and stuff, and Allah has His plan. And uh, one of the brothers that I was around in college, he told me, uh, he said, أَنَا أُرِيدُ وَأَنْتَ تُرِيدُ وَاللَّهُ فَعَالٌ لِمَا يُرِيدُ he taught me that when we were in when we were in college. He said, "Anu urid wa anta turid, wallahu fa'alun lima yurid." Allah bless him and keep him safe and his family. He said, "I want and you want, and Allah does whatever He wants." <laughs> I want and you want, and Allah does whatever He wants. But to understand that really is what when when we when we can come to a true understanding of that in our hearts, then the situation that we go through. Is uh, we're able to engage with it differently. He says in the commentary, he says, "If law fahimta an Allahi anhu innama manaka liyusayyiraka min ahbabihi ladina hamahum min al-dunya, lama taalamta minhu." بل تلذذت به فإن الفقير لا يكمن حتى يجد للمنع حلاوة لا يجدها في العطاء. This section of the commentary, subhanAllah, when I was reviewing it, I was like, man, he has hikam in the commentary. The con- like each of these has, you're gonna find these lines. He, he has these really powerful lines. He says, because had you understood that the reason why God didn't give you whatever it was, He deprived of you. Mena, He mena is to prevent or deprive or whatever uh, you want to use for that. But if you had understood that He didn't give you, so that He could make you from His beloved servants, who He has protected from the dunya, then you wouldn't have been hurt by it. Had you understood. That actually the reason why he didn't give you that thing was to protect you from that thing. And to protect you from these other distractions and protect you from these other things that are not going to help you in your relationship with him. If you understood that, you wouldn't have any pain about the situation. Rather, you would actually feel joy from it and you would feel happiness from it. Um, Because the um, needy servant of God, he says, because the needy servant of God does not become complete until they find a sweetness in deprivation that's greater than the one that they find in giving and receiving. You know, when, when God gives and when God deprives. So he says, the, 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 the needy servant of God, al-faqir, 
does not become complete until they find a sweetness in the deprivation that is greater than the sweetness that they find when they get what they want. SubhanAllah. Um, so that's really powerful. 95, he says, رُبَّمَا فَتَحَ لَكَ بَابَ الطَّاعَةِ وَمَا فَتَحَ لَكَ بَابَ الْقَبُولِ رُبَّمَا قَضَى عَلَيْكَ بِالذَّنْبِ فَكَانَ سَبَبًا فِي الْوُصُولِ This is really beautiful too, subhanAllah. Sometimes he opens the door of obedience for you, but not the door of acceptance. Or sometimes he condemns you to sin, and it turns out to be a cause for union with God. Um, and remember the union here is not like a physical union but a, to be spiritually close so he says maybe maybe Allah opened the door of obedience to you but he didn't open the door of acceptance and and this is you know something that you see sometimes um, you know may Allah protect us one of the things that's really scary about delusion is that when a person is deluded they don't see it and then, like maybe time passes, maybe they come to a deeper understanding, maybe they get some more knowledge or learning or whatever, and that delusion then becomes clear to them, like, wow, subhanAllah, I was totally off on that one. Um, but we don't see it when we're in the middle of it. And sometimes we're deluded by something and we come out of it, and we look back, and then when we see it in other people, we're like, whoa, that was crazy. I can't believe that was like... You know, you'll find believers, for example, who, or Muslims, who all they do is tell you all of the good that they do. <laughs> it's like, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and you know, I did. And they're just always talking about all the good that they did. Because for some reason in their mind, they have come to believe that because God opened up the door for them to do that thing, then that means that he accepted it. And that's just not the way that we look at things. And again, this is this is from very, very early. You know, the very, very early Muslims are similar that they didn't look at things that way. They understood that there's there's the doing of an action and there's the acceptance of an action. And for God to accept it is something different than for you to do it. Uh, for God to accept it, it has to meet its conditions of sincerity, to be done properly, so on and so forth. And just because He allowed us to do something doesn't necessarily mean that He allowed it to be accepted. right? And um, it, again, it seems straightforward enough when you say it, but sometimes we, we have um, different understandings in our heads. And... Um, you know, subhanAllah. Because what? And this is what like all of these next wisdoms are going to dig in the same direction. Because what? Because what is the objective of doing the act of worship? You know, and again, these are going to, as, as we go through these next ones, we'll see it. So maybe a little bit longer commentary here. We'll make it so that we go quicker through the other ones. But what is, what is the goal of the act of ibadah? What is the goal of the act of worship? The goal of the act of worship is to be abd. It's to be a servant of God. And to تتحقق uh, في To really actualize and realize 
this station of servanthood. Okay? So, what kind of servant is the servant who does the deed not out of a spirit of servitude? Right? The servant who, do, who does the deed not out of a spirit of servitude, then that's not, like they missed the whole thing. And this is, this is part of what's being said here, is like, maybe, okay, great, you did the thing, but how did you do the thing? Um, uh, did you do the thing in a way is acceptable or not? Uh, let me respond to this question. Um, so, but then on the same time, maybe he opens for you uh, a door. He opens, he, or he, يقضي عليك. You know, not condemn. Condemns is, I think, kind of like a strong word here. Um, condemns you to sin. قضى عليك بالذنبي is kind of like, he decreed for you to sin. Right? He, he determined for you to sin. Subhanah. Um, you know, so maybe he opened the door for you. And maybe he deemed the, decreed for you to sin on this particular situation. But in that sin, that sin becomes a means by which you become uh, connected to God. A means by which you come to know Him better. So, you know, part of, again, what we look at with that is, is twofold. Number one is that, you know, things are not, we're not actually commanded. We, we judge things by what's apparent because that's what we have to do for our lives. But we know that there is more to things than what is apparent. And something can be very, very, very sincere and not look sincere. And something can be very insincere and look sincere, right? And so maybe the person, uh, they did something really good. But that thing that they did that was really good, all it did was increase them in arrogance. And someone else, they did something that was really bad. But when they did that really bad thing, it um, humbled them to an extent that now they were able now they were finally able to come to God in a serious way so you don't know which one of those it might be and uh, when we see things from other people when we see things from ourselves we should be mindful of this 96 he says and again it's it's building on it ma'asiyatun awrathat dhullan wa iftiqaran khayrun min ta'atin awrathat izzan wa istikbaran so a sin that oh a sin, a disobedience that bequeaths humiliation and extreme need is better than an obedience that bequeaths self infatuation and pride so what so you have uh, a sin the result of which is a person humbling themselves and recognizing their need for god and you have a good deed the result of which is a person becoming arrogant and thinking they're so great and they're better than everyone else and so on and so forth. So what he's saying here is that that sin in this case, that sin is better than that act of worship, than that act of obedience. Okay. So in that case, in that situation, that sin is better than that act of obedience. Um, 
And again, you know, this is really extremely important. Can you guys still hear me? Yeah? Okay. That's not what we suggest. Um, this is really extremely important because sometimes it's a very strange thing. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, like subhanAllah, sometimes how, and I'm sure I've said this before, is that one of the core qualities of someone who's taking their submission to God seriously is humility. So when you find humility, you find some sort of like, there's something right there. Um, and, and the opposite of that would be arrogance. But when you find arrogance, you've, you know that something is wrong there. Now, we have to be careful to not like, sometimes people make mistakes, right? Like sometimes in the heat of the moment, the person makes a mistake and instead of showing humility they show arrogance but when they calm down and stuff like they realize oh actually that was wrong and they'll accept it and so on and so forth and it's not something that they're always doing right that's that's not we can't write that person off as being arrogant they're just struggling with it but some people really like every single time you interact with them it is looking down on others it's thinking that they're better than others it's using their religion and their religiosity as a tool by which they, uh, a measuring stick by which they denigrate others and by which they hold themselves up. All, and if we find something like that, then that's, that's very, very off. Okay. That's very, very off. Um, he says in the commentary, there's some really interesting uh, word choice that he uses. Um, uh, oh, sorry, I just realized that the brother was asking if the sound is off when I asked if you could hear me okay and some of you said that you could, he couldn't hear that. <laughs> That's not, I, didn't, uh, <laughs> I didn't make that connection, I apologize. Uh, but thank you for commenting about it on the, on the chat. Um, he says in the commentary that humility and... A recognition of one's incompleteness are signs of their servanthood. Are signs of their servanthood. So here he uses the word تحقق, that, for, and for the person to realize these qualities is uh, is something that brings them closer to God. Okay. On the other hand, al-'iz wal are from the qualities of God's lordliness. And this power and this might are qualities of God's majesty and His lordliness. And what ta'alluq bihima? Now he uses a different word. What ta'alluq bihima? Muqtadan linxidlani wa tabaudi an al-maratib al-'aniya. So in this case, he doesn't say you actualize them. He says you've attached yourself to them. Because those things, might and power and all of these things, they're only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So just because someone acts like they have it, they don't actually have it. Okay, They might act like they have it, but they don't actually have it. It's something that they're clinging on to. But it's not something that becomes truly a part of them. 
Whereas humility and humbleness and neediness and all of these things can truly become, they can truly become that, right? Because that's, that's who they actually are. So when it's something that is, is part of the human condition, you can, you can embody it. But when it's something that's actually not, you can only make a show of it. And what's really interesting about that, I think, is that it feels to me, Allahu alam, I could be wrong, but that much of what we see in like interactions with people is really just a show. Because they haven't, it, it haven't, it whatever the quality is, if it's a true and good quality, it has, to, it can become part of the person. But if it's not, then it's something that they hang on to, but it doesn't become part of them. So it's, there's something that's incomplete about it. Subhanallah. Um, and 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 those qualities they lead to humiliation and disgrace and being distanced from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Uh, then in the commentary he says that uh, Abu Abbas al Mursi radiAllahu Taala anhu, one of the great spiritual masters of our tradition. Uh, Who's buried in Iskandaria? He's buried in Alexandria in Egypt. Abu Abbas al Mursi, radiallahu ta'ala an. He was the Shaykh of Ibn Ata'ala. So he's the Shaykh of Ibn Ata'ala, who's the author of the wisdoms. Uh, it's said about him that a person who is obedient, outwardly obedient, would sometimes come into his presence or into his gathering, and he wouldn't pay him any attention. He wouldn't pay him any attention, and uh, at the same time, and then, and then, on the contrary, someone who is outwardly disobeying some of the rules of of the religion, um, that person who's outwardly disobeying the rules of the religion might come into his gathering, and he will honor him, and treat him well, and take care of him, and so on. And it's not because he's trying to play games with them. Right, like sometimes people will say, "Oh, it's because you know the one who's obedient, he's trying to give him tarbiyah and like be strict on him, and the one who's uh, disobedient, he's trying to bring him closer and stuff like that." That's not the point he's making here. Actually, the point that he's making here is that sometimes the obedient person will enter; he doesn't pay attention, and the disobedient person, meaning disobedient to the rules of Islam, to God, right, and they would enter, and he'd honor him and treat him well, and he would do that. Because he would see that the person who's obedient is arrogant about his obedience. And the person who is disobedient enters with a state of humility that comes from that act of disobedience that they were engaged in. Okay. And then he says, فَيَنْبَغِي This is an, again another little hikmah in the commentary. فَيَنْبَغِي أَنْ لَا يَنْظُرَ الْعَبْدُ إِلَى سُورِ الْأَشْيَاءِ بَلْ إِلَى حَقَائِقِهَا فَإِنَّ أَعْمَالَ الْبِرِّ وَالطَّاعَةِ لَيْسَتْ مَشْرُوعَةً لِذَاتِهَا وَلَا مَطْلُوبَةً لِسُورِهَا بَلْ لِمَحْتَوَتْ عَلَيْهِ مِنَ التَّذَلُّلِ وَالْخُشُوعِ فَإِذَا خَلَتْ مِنْ ذَلِكَ so he says, so what the person should do then, what, you know, the, the, the cognizant, attentive servant of God, what should they do? 
They should not look at the outward forms of things. Rather, they should look at their essence. Because the acts of piety and obedience are not legislated in and of themselves or asked of us because of their outward forms. Rather, they're legislated and asked of us because of what they contain from the realities of humility and um, and and uh, kind of like brokenness in front of God. You know, humility, but not brokenness. Oftentimes, when we say that, then um, um, it gets understood as like a in a negative sense, but like in a they they're we're asked to do these acts of worship because they take us to states of 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 of, of humility in front of God. So we have to look at that essence. So if they lose those realities, if the acts of worship that we're doing lose those realities and essences of humility, of servanthood, and so on, then the sin that 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 brings those realities is better than the act of worship. Okay? Hopefully, um, I went slow enough such that it was, people were able to follow it, inshallah. Really important concept. Ni'matani, number 97. He says, Ni'matani ma Wala buddha li kulli minhuma. Ni'matul ijad wa ni'matul imdad. Ni'matul ijad wa ni'matul imdad. Two, there are two graces that no one can, no being can do without and that are necessary for every creature. The grace of existence and the grace of sustenance. Or you could say the blessing. Ni'mah. Uh, Ni'mah is a grace, it's a blessing translated in different ways but there's two he's saying there's two blessings there's nothing in creation that is without these two blessings nothing in creation that is without these two blessings they are the blessing of being brought into existence uh, again you know I would say being brought into existence. It's not wujud. It's not ni'matun wujud. The ni'm, the blessing of existence. It's the ni'mah of ijad, which is to be brought into existence. Uh, and the ni'mah of imdad. The ni'mah of being continually sustained. Sustenance that continu- continually sustained. So, uh, this is very, very often said by by um, the people of knowledge. It's like a concept that repeats itself over and over again. And it is to recognize that هَلْ أَتَى عَلَى الْإِنسَانِ حِينٌ مِّنَ الدَّهْرِ لَمْ يَكُنْ شَيْئًا مَذْكُورًا You know, did a time come upon the person when they weren't even something to be mentioned? You didn't exist. <laughs> like that, that, that we can. You weren't there. We, I, I wasn't here, and I was brought into this existence. 
And every single moment that passes, I'm being sustained in this existence. You know, are you making your own heartbeat? Are you consciously thinking about and and having to process every single breath that comes in and every single breath that comes out? Are you paying attention to when your eye needs to blink and when it doesn't need to blink? Are you working through consciously the bodily motions that are necessary to keep your whole thing going? Or are you being sustained at every single moment of your existence? Just like everything in creation. Just like everything in creation, you are being sustained at every single moment. You were brought into existence from nothingness. You were taken out of nothingness and brought into existence. And in existence, you are sustained in every single moment. These are the two blessings nobody can escape from them. In 98, he says, So this is, again, the same meaning. He bestowed his grace upon you first through giving you existence and second through uninterrupted sustenance. So his, his first blessing upon you is that you came to exist at all. And the second blessing is that you're continually the sustenance that's needed for you to continue in existence keeps coming and keeps coming. So what? So why is that being said? That's being said as a muqaddimah. Both of these are being said as a muqaddimah, as an introduction, as a... Um, precursor, so to speak, of 99. Which says, فَاقَتُكَ لَكَ ذَاتِيَّ وَبُرُودُ الْأَسْبَابِ مُذَكِّرَاتٌ لَكَ بِمَا خَفِيَ عَلَيْكَ مِنْهَا وَالْفَاقَةُ الذَّاتِيَّ لَا تَرْفَعُهَا الْعَوَارِضِ Your indigence It's an interesting translation I suppose your indigence belongs to you essentially. For accidents, um, they change around like the uh, the ordering of this, but that's okay. Your indigence belongs to you essentially. For accidents do not abolish essential indigence. The trials that arrive in this world are but reminders to you of what you ignore of indigence. So what is it saying? Faqa. Faqa. Faqa is your need. It's your neediness. It's your dependency. Um, so what this is saying is that you being in need is an essential part. You as in the human being. You as in the human being. You're as a human being neediness is an essential part of what you are okay you you you're not self-sustaining <laughs> it's not like um, you need food and you need drink and you need sleep and you need bodily functions and you need help and you need this and your neediness is just it's who you are it's absolute. Just think of yourself as a baby, right? You are as a baby, completely in need, 
that's that's who you are right and the um, the trials that you go through in life they only remind you of that right so sometimes and especially as adults we go through these periods where we're like we think we're so special you know we go through these periods where like things are going right and things are going the way we want them to and then we start to think we're so special and we can do everything and we can do this and we're not in need of anything and I don't need this and I don't need that and so on and so forth and then something will happen that is that is going to remind you of that essential reality it's going to remind you of it so you might live in like America for example and you might have a good job and you might be relatively stable and you're buying whatever you feel like and you're living the dream, right? And then all of a sudden, a little virus appears out of nowhere and you lose your job and you can't leave your house and you're walking around the street and every time you pass someone on the street, you're looking at them and you're like giving them six feet, crossing to the other side of the road doing all of these like now all of us all of a sudden you're weak aren't you you're you're vulnerable aren't you you're in need aren't you um, but that was forgotten we can we tend to forget these things we tend to uh, turn ourselves into our own deities you know because that is one of the definitions of God right that God is without need he is a summit he is completely without need whereas his creation is completely in need um, and what he says is that awarid awarid is accident uh, accidents. So they use the word accidents. Accidents is a philosophical term. It's not this. This is a, in the philosophical usage of the term, not in the uh, common usage of the term, like a mistake. It doesn't mean a mistake. An accident. An awarid awarid is something that is attributed to a person but it doesn't last or it doesn't have to be a person it can be anything really so like so a person might like be going through a period of happiness just like intense happiness you know but it's going to pass. It's not like part of their permanent disposition. They might be going through some sadness. It's probably going to pass. It's not part of their permanent disposition. If they have some severe depression or something, um, even still, oftentimes people have severe depression, they have depressive episodes. Right? They have an episode eventually, sometimes longer or shorter. They might come out of it. So those are all awarid. They're accidental things. They're, they're things that come and they go. They change. Um, so what he's saying here is that just because you have um, times in life where you don't realize your neediness because you have so much or because you're feeling so strong or whatever it might be, that's all passing. Those are not permanent, essential attri attributes of the human being. right? Like Allah says in the Quran, you're born and you're weak. And then you get stronger, and then you get some gray, and then you go to being weak again. It's the way it goes. Right? You're not. Uh, all of those things are are passing. 
So, the, what he's trying to remind us here is that that is passing. Our capacity and our ability and so on is passing. So he says in the commentary, subhanAllah, he says, فَإِنَّ غَالِبَ النَّاسِ يَغْفِلُونَ عَنِ نَفَاقَةِ الذَّاتِيَةِ إِذَا دَامَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ سِحَةُ أَبْدَانِهِمْ وَكَثْرَةُ أَمْوَالِهِمْ To the point that some said, this is what caused Pharaoh to say, أَنَا رَبُّكُمُ الْأَعْلَى Now this is what caused Pharaoh to say, I am your Lord, the Most High. So what did he say? He said, he said, most people become heedless of their essential dependency when the health of their bodies and the uh, abundance of their wealth last for a long time. So most people, if they have health and they have wealth and it lasts for some time, they forget their neediness. They become they become heedless of it. They start to think that they're invincible. And subhanAllah, it's really interesting that you notice like one of the things oftentimes that wealth does in America in particular is that it buys people the time and the resources wealth. It buys people the time and the resources to be healthy. So you'll see like people who are you know, these executives and different things and whatever and they're like very fit so they have a lot of money and they have a lot of strength and they're doing well then usually what happens is the person becomes heedless and again then you might run into like a virus or a pandemic or end you know and then you're like whoa subhanallah it's not exactly, I'm not exactly as without need as I thought I was, you know. I'm not exactly as independently strength, strong as I thought I was. 100, he says, خَيْرُ أَوْقَاتِكَ وَقْتٌ تَشْهَدُ فِيهِ وُجُودَ فَاقَتِكَ وَتُرَدُ فِيهِ إِنَا وُجُودِ ذِلَّتِكَ He says, the best, oh, your best, excuse me, your best moment is the one wherein you witness your actual indigence and through it reach the reality of your loneliness. So the best moment is one wherein you bear witness to your own need. And in doing so, return to the reality of your humbleness or lowliness. You, you realize, wait, okay. So that, that is the best of moments. I don't know if we covered it, but you know this. Um, there's a wisdom in here where he says that the one who doesn't come to Allah through uh, the through gratitude for their blessings, then they will be brought to Allah by the chains of deprivation and trial. Right. Sometimes, like, some people, they just really won't humble themselves until they go through something. And that's, um, that's one of the things I kind of am worried about with this whole pandemic issue. Is that wherever, whenever we face things in life, especially major things like this, 
there's things that we're supposed to learn from that. You know, it's not supposed to be like I just go through life and some major, major thing happens that hasn't happened for a hundred years occurs. And I'm just like business as usual. No reflection, no adjustment of perspective. Um, I'm just waiting for things to open up again so that I can go back to doing things the way that I used to do them. And uh, that's kind of scary because I feel like, you know, when when we go through stuff like this and, and we don't take the lesson, then we run the risk of bigger things happening, you know, and like the lesson has the, the lesson will be taken. Um, question is how how much will it take for us to take the lesson? And it's not just about individuals, but oftentimes it's also about collectives. You know, a collective of people oftentimes has lessons that they need to learn. The poet he said, "Bana Allahu lil-ahbabi baytan samauhu humumun wa ahzanun wa hitanuhu wa dhuru." وَأَدْخَلَهُمْ فِيهِ وَأَغْلَقَ بَابَهُ وَقَالَ لَهُمْ مِفْتَحُ بَابِكُمُ الصَّبْرُ He says, Allah made a, a building for the Beloveds. He made a home for the Beloveds. Its ceiling is worries and sadnesses. And its, and its walls are harms. And then he put the beloveds into this home and he closed the door upon them and he told them the key of the key to the door is to have patience. The key to the door is to have patience. You know, so may Allah help us. May Allah help us to to do these things inshaAllah. One oh one meta o shaka I'm sorry, meta o hashaka. Min khalqihi fa'alam annahu yuridu and yafta halaka babal unsi bihi. It's not really much to say about this one, but whenever he alienates you from his creatures, realize that he wants to open for you the door of intimacy with him. Alienates, well, maybe there is something to say here. This is not that like, what is this trying to say? It's trying to say that oftentimes we have as human beings this intense need to be with other people. And to be around other people. And he's saying that if God removes that from you, and you know, makes it so that you don't really care to be around people, and it's not because you're being arrogant towards them. Um, it's just that you you don't have that anymore. Says then know that he is opening for you the door of intimacy with him. Then know that he wants to open the door for you uh, for intimacy with him. Meaning, okay, you're not going to keep their company. Allah takes the desire to be in the company of the people out of your heart. And what he's doing is he's making it so that the desire to be with him can be accomplished. 
they say though, you know, keep in mind that there shouldn't be like a license to just not deal with people. That wouldn't be the sunnah of the Prophet But one deals with the people not out of a need for them, per se, like not out of like, I have this emptiness that has to be filled and like so on and so on. That, that emptiness, fill it with God. And fill it with God and still be with the people and serve the people and so on and so forth. Thank you, Asnami. 63. This is the one that I had mentioned about. Yeah. مَنْ لَمْ يُقْبِلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ بِمُلَاطَفَاتِ الْإِحْسَانِ قِيدَ إِلَيْهِ بِسَلَاسِلِ الْإِمْتِحَانِ One who doesn't go to Allah through the gentle subtleties of his gifts, then um, <coughs> they will be taken to him by the chains of trial. Oh, 63 So that's 101 102 uh, Says Meta Oh We're not on uh, Sorry I didn't realize That this thing didn't go that far So I'll just continue Inshallah uh, I mean, I'm moving a little bit faster Than usual um, I'm realizing that If we keep the pace That we had in the past We're going to be here For a really long time And um, You know So Plus sometimes what happens You know like uh, We used to always joke with And, and Azhar like The way of the Azhari Shuyukh is that they spend Hours and hours and hours on the introduction And then they move through the text really quickly And That's actually on purpose Because in the introduction they're trying to Get the perspective in the right place And make sure that the pieces are in the right place So that the person can properly understand The text and once they do that then the text Can be understood So that's to say that and, and then sometimes what will happen is in the earlier parts of the text there's certain understandings that have to be um, developed and then once they've been developed you don't you know you move a little bit quicker later on so we might move quicker or slower through different parts inshallah uh, 102 he says he says that no when, when Allah Loosens your tongue Such that you ask Of him uh, You know you make dua He loosens your tongue such that you ask of him Know that he wants to give you If he if, if, if he allowed you to make the dua Know that he wants to give you it Not necessarily exactly what you're asking for As we had in the earlier ones He's going to give you according to what he knows Is best for you and when he knows is best for you And so on and so forth but he's even even the fact that he's letting you um, make these du'as is an evidence that he wants to give you the consequence of them. 103 He says in 103 that the knower of God their idtirar doesn't go away and they only have qarar with Allah. And I'll translate these. Says the knower of God, their idtirar never goes away, and their qarar is only with Allah. So, what is idtirar? Idtirar is the same word in the Quran that Allah says that the person who's the mudtar, 
that he the mudtar he answers their dua they say oftentimes in like trying to give an image for this word that if you have an image of someone who's traveling the ocean on a ship and their ship becomes shipwrecked and everyone's drowning and they just have like a little plank and they're holding on to that plank and they're in the middle of the ocean with nothing around them and they call upon Allah for help in that moment that that hal that state is a state of idtirar it's like utter neediness to god you know they're just completely turned towards god and needing god um and that person the person who truly knows god that state never leaves them they never leave the recognition of their neediness for god it's just always there it becomes part of who they are and um I think some of these things for some people they seem like so negative you know it's not that they're negative it's that there's certain truths about the human being that have to be accepted for the human being to actually be strong and if they're going to seek strength without the recognition of those realities then they're just going to build sandcastles in the sky because the foundation is not there the foundation is to recognize that I have an utter neediness towards God because what you'll find from these same people al-arif billah you know you find someone who's truly arif billah and you'll be like that is a man that is a woman these are like that is truly a man that is truly a woman like that is a strong person and and the the what's that word um the paradox of it the paradox of it is that that truly strong person never forgets for a moment that they actually have no strength at all that the only one that has actual strength is god and that's that's and that's where they're drawing their strength from and that's why it's real strength and that's why they that's why they are the way that they are and the second half of this one is that they have no qarar except with allah and qarar is like It's like stability to be established to be planted in a sense you know like they're 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 settled they're like settled down settled in in a sense that they only have that with God they don't have it with anything other than God and that again is a reason why they have actual true qarar and they have actual true strength because they're not putting their stability in the hands of something that's not stable right like everything other than god is not stable so i'm not going to put like my stability and the trust of my stability in those things that isn't stable i'm putting in god and that's why then they're able to have um, these wonderful and beautiful qualities Okay. So that's 103. 104. Oh actually there's a there's another hikmah thing in here I need to mention. Um So 
he says it's really amazing. أن العارف بالله لا يزول اضطراره وافتقاره إلى مولاه فإنه بقدر معرفته لنفسه بالذل والافتقار يعرف ربه بالعز والعظمة والاقتدار. So he says that the person who knows God, they uh, their neediness to Him doesn't ever go away because it is by their own recognition of their need and their incapacity that they know and they realize the absolute power and magnificence and ability of God. So that brings up this issue of like whoever knows themselves knows their Lord, right? Whoever knows themselves knows their Lord. So by knowing their own weaknesses, they know who God truly is. And as for the person who's not a knower of God, فَإِنَّ اضْطِرَارَهُمْ إِنَّمَا يَكُونُ عِنْدَ مُثِيرَاتِ الْأَسْبَابِ مِنَ الْفَقْرِ وَالْمَرَضِ وَنَحْوِ ذَانِكِ لِغَلَبَةِ دَائِرَةٍ حِسِّي عَلَى مَشْهَدِهِمْ So he says, As for the other people, their feeling of neediness only comes when something like poverty or sickness or other such things afflict them. That's the only time they realize how needy they are. Otherwise, they just they're going about their business, and that is because he says gives you the illa here. What is the, why is that? Why is how does it, how is it that a person ends up like that? What is it that makes it that way? That is because غلبتي دائرة حسي على مشهدهم. So that is because. Their dominant experiencing of existence is through their physical senses. Their dominant experiencing of existence is through their physical senses. And that's all that they're experiencing the world through. And because the only thing they're experiencing the world through is their physical senses, the only time they realize their neediness is when they're afflicted by something physically that makes them feel needy. But their aql, their intellect, is not part of how they're experiencing the world. Their heart and their spirit and their soul are not part of how they're experiencing the world. And so the only time they can realize that they need something is when they, when they actually physically need something. And that's because basically materialism has taken them over. Materialism has taken them over. It's a really amazing point. Uh... I'll do one more inshallah and then we'll stop because 105 seems like a good place to stop. Uh, 104 says, إِنَّ شَمْسَ النَّهَارِ تَغْرُبُ بِاللَّيْلِ وَشَمْسٌ قُلُوبِ لَيْسَتْ تَغِيبُ So it says that um, <coughs> I hope this one can be understood now after like everything that we've covered hopefully like a, a feeling for this can be can be grasped um, 
He says that the external physical world is illumined by the light, by the lights of the athar of God. So the athar of God, an athar is like if someone is walking, they leave a trail behind them, right? That's an athar. The, the footprint is an athar. Um, we have kids, oftentimes you find like in homes with light paint, you'll see like kids' fingerprints on walls. The fingerprint is an athar, right? So what this is saying is that the physical world is illuminated by those consequences of Allah's attributes in the world. So Allah is Allah, obviously, but He's also Ar-Rahman, and He's also Ar-Rahim, and He's also Ar-Ghafoor, and He's also Ar-Razaq, He's also the one that provides. And the fingerprints of all of those things are what illumine the world, all of those attributes. The consequences of those actually there's probably a really good word for this in, in theology and I'm probably screwing it up yeah that's part of what's tricky about theology but um, like there's Allah there's his attributes and then there's the consequences of his attributes okay and well I don't know if I should do it like that but there's Allah and there's his attributes and there's the consequences of his attributes so the consequences of his attributes are what illumine the entire physical existence of the world. And the inner world of the heart and the soul and the spirit and all of these type of things is illuminated by his attributes. By his awsaf, by his attributes. And that is why the lights of the external world, they set. The illumination of the external world, it comes and it goes. And the illumination of the heart and the inner secret of the human being, it doesn't ever set. Okay. Because that inner illumination is it's coming from his attributes and his attributes are eternal, subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the finite manifestation of those attributes, it'll, it'll come and it'll go. But the attribute itself is eternal. So the inner world is illuminated by the attribute. And so... I don't know, I don't know how to translate it. Shireen said, by consequences, do you mean his actions? I mean his athar. His I just used a word for it right now in the last sentence that I thought was better, but I can't remember what it was now. So now, now I'm in trouble. But um, finite manifestations of his attributes in the world. Um, So like Allah has the attribute of mercy. A manifestation of that mercy in the finite world is the mercy that a mother shows to her child. But some days there'll be more mercy and some days there'll be less mercy. And sometimes they'll be merciful and sometimes, you know, some, some, some moms won't be merciful. 
because this is the finite manifestation of it and that's what illumines the physical world around us but the spiritual world is illumined by his actual attributes subhanahu wa ta'ala and so that's that sun is a sun that never sets and that's why the poet said the sun of the day sets at the night and the sun of the heart never sets the sun of the heart never sets so he says in the commentary This again is, is one of these wisdoms in the commentary. He says, وَفِي هَذَا تَنْبِيهٌ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْأُمُورَ الْبَاقِيَةَ هِيَ الَّتِي يَنْبَغِي أَنْ يُعْتَنَى بِهَا بِخِلَافِ الْأُمُورِ الْفَانِيَةِ الْآفِلَةِ Okay. So he says, and this is an indication and a reminder to the person that it is the it is the things that remain that should be sought after. It is the things that remain that should be sought after in contrast to those things that go away and disappear and set. We have to go after what remains. And if the person does that, if the person, he says at the end, I like this, uh, if the person does that and they go after those things that are permanent, those things that are truly connected to Allah, then they become like وَحِينَ إِذَنْ يَكُونُ الْعَبْدُ عَلَى مِلَّةِ إِبْرَاهِيمَ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ حَيْثُ قَالَ لَا أُحِبُّ الْآفِنِينَ And if they do that, they go after those things that, that remain. That sun, They go after that sun that does not set then they will be on the way of Ibrahim alayhi salam who said, I don't like those things that set. And the story of Ibrahim alayhi salam when he said, the son, this is the son, this is my Lord. And then the sun sets and he's like, hmm, I don't like those things that set. This is the mamoon, it's, you know. <laughs> and then eventually he comes to like the, the point of, no, I, my Lord is Allah because Allah doesn't set. So if they make this, they make this transition, then they're truly on the milla, the milla of Ibrahim They're on the path of Ibrahim, they're on the way of Ibrahim. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. I don't know why, but in my mind I'm thinking that like, um, you know when you bury someone you say, Bismillah wa ala millati Rasulillah. Bismillah wa ala millati Rasulillah. When you bury the person, you put them in the ground, say Bismillah, and on the way of the Prophet Now they're going into the realm, they're leaving this world, they're going into the realm of the world where the sun doesn't set. Yeah. And then he says in the commentary to close with, that from the nice stories around this, a man came one time to Sahil ibn Abdullah to study, radiallahu and he asked him about al-qut, al-qut, which is generally sustenance, like in normal usage. Say qut is like the food you carry with you on a journey or something like that. It's your qut, your food. So they asked him about al-qut, and he said, "Who al-hayy la yamut?" They asked him about food, like sustenance. He said, "He is the living who never dies." And then he was like, "I'm." 
the guy says, I'm asking you about anqiwam. He tries a different word. And qiwam is like that thing which holds you up. Another word for food, right? So he says, anqiwam huwa al-in. He says, the qiwam the is, this is Sahl ibn Abdullah. He says, anqiwam is knowledge. So he's like, طيب, I'm asking you about that thing which sustains you, sustenance, ghida. He says, فقال, He says, That the thing that sustains you is to remember God, is to make dhikr. <laughs> he says, So now he's like being very particular. He says, What I'm asking you about is the food of the body. Right? I'm asking you about the food of the body. But him, in his mind, he's not connected to those things. Right? Like he's, his, he's not with the afilin. So he's like asking about food. He's like, what's Qut? Qut is Allah. That's Qut. That's Allah <laughs> who, doesn't, who doesn't die. So the thing that makes you stand up, this thing that makes you stand up, that's knowledge. It's something. No, I'm asking you about the thing that sustains you. The thing that sustains you, that's dhikr. It's remembering God. So, like, <laughs> so then he said, No, I'm asking you about the food of the body. I'm asking you literally about the food of the body. He says, Malaka wal jasad. Like what's what what business do you have with the body? He says, Why do you have any concern about the body? Let the one who took care of it in the beginning take care of it in the end. <laughs> like, why do you care about that? Let whoever the one who took care of it in the beginning, Allah, let him take care of it in the end. Why are you even paying attention to that? And on those lines, the poet, the uh, on that on that note, the poet he said, "Ya khadim al jismi kam tashqa bi khidmatihi, wa tatlub al ribha mimma fihi khusranu, alayka bil ruhi fastakmil fadailaha, fa anta bil ruhi la bil jismi insanu." There's other uh, the way, "Ya khadim al jismi kam tashqa bi khidmatihi, wa tatlub al ribha fima fihi khusranu." أقبل على النفس واستكمل فضائلها فأنت بالنفس لا بالجسم إنسان. Same meaning. Says, O oh, you who's a servant of your body, how long are you going to pain yourself through its through its service? And you're seeking profit in that which will always have loss. You're seeking profit in what will always have loss. If you're just serving your body, eventually your body's going to lose. It's going That's a that's that's a business that eventually is going to dry up. So pay attention rather to the soul And complete its virtues Because it is by the soul Not the body that you are truly human Leave the body Go to the soul And focus on the soul And develop the soul And refine the soul And bring out its virtues Because it is the soul Not the body that makes you truly human This is Abul Fath and Busti uh, it's a very famous poem, actually. It'd be a nice poem, actually, to study. Maybe we'll do that sometime. It's a poem called Anwan and Hikam, the um, headline of wisdoms. And it's like a, it's not too long of a poem, but each line or two of the poem is like one of these universal wisdom type things. So we'll stop here on 104. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala give us tawfiq, help us to continue.